Let us go into. I think. I think we're on page eight. Is that right? Yes. We're on the second line, right? Zeu. Yeah. Okay. Let's go in. Do we need to? Oh, let's just give a bit of context. Just a reminder of what we're doing, right? We're learning the mimer of. And we've been learning about the pasuk, the verse of Sof that the final action is the first thought. It was the original intent. So we spoke about different examples of that, like that Adam was created last. Um, and we brought the example of it too. Whatever goes in first comes out last. And this is really almost like a philosophical understanding or more just even a logical understanding behind what do we mean when we say that the lowest thing is actually the highest thing. And the idea is that the highest thing had to go through all of these processes to descend, to get to the lowest thing, which was, which was actually the final and the, the entire intention from the beginning. So we're going to take this idea of Sof Maseb Makshavatrila and now in the Mimer, we're going to bring it back and apply it to the difference between Mishnah and Brisa. We're going to elaborate a little bit more about how the Mishnah teaches us the mitzvahs versus how the Brisas teach us the mitzvahs. Because at the end of the day, the oral Torah is really about explaining to us how to do the mitzvahs that are sourced in the written Torah. Most, very, very few of our mitzvahs are actually very clearly spelled out in the written Torah. But the oral Torah's job is to then expound on it and explain to us how to do that. But within the oral Torah, we have these two levels. We have the general mitzvah from the Mishnah and then the details from the Brisa. And we're going to see how this actually plays out, okay? And then we're going to see the advantage of the Brisa and why the altar ever started off this member by saying the Brisas are actually higher than the Mishnah, even though you would think that the Mishnah is higher. So page eight, we're going to learn a bit more about Mishnah and Brisa. The Zeo Gam Ken Inyan Mishnah Vabrisa. So this whole idea of Sofma Seva Machshavatrila is applied also to the idea of Mishnah and Brisa. Sheha Mishnah Hu Haklal. The Mishnah gives us the general mitzvah. As we said, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi had to compile from an incredible amount of passed down information um, into these six orders of the Mishnah. So it had to be very, very cryptic and concise. So the more inclusive the the source was, that's what he would include. So the general mitzvah is in the Mishnah. And we have an example. Kamal, for example, it's written in the Mishnah, Dalid tzitzitz ma'akvos. That zu et zeh. Dalid tzitzitz ma'akvos zu et zeh. That you have to have a, a garment that covers over for, and that, that covers you from all four sides. Right? She'arba'atan mitzvahachas. And all four sides are one mitzvah. That's like the source for the mitzvah of tzitzitz in the Mishnah, which is very, very, um, very, very general, right? Like, if you just knew, okay, mitzvah, uh, mitzvah of tzitzis is you have to wear a, a four-cornered garment, right? That's, that's true, but it's also very general, and there's a lot more details there. Then we have another example, another example of a, mit- a mitzvah as it expresses itself in the Mishnah. The ken sukkah shehi gavoa mi esrim ama. You guys familiar with this law that when we build a sukkah, it's not allowed to be taller than 20 amma. And that's what we know about sukkah from the Mishnah. You have to build a sukkah and it's not allowed to be higher than 20 amma. So we see that this is a general statement that includes various interpretations and details. The yesh tam lazet. 
And because it's so general, we can start to find a reason for this. When you give a general mitzvah, that general without all the details, you can start to come up with reasons. Ke'inian, for example, what's the reason that's brought? Why do we wear a full, why do men wear a full garment, a full cornered garment that has, we're on page nine, that has a blue string? And the answer is, t'chelet dome layam. The color blue is the same color as the sea. T'chelet? Oh, that's a beautiful name. T'chelet is, I think, more accurately turquoise, right? Yeah, especially in modern English, modern Hebrew. Right. Yes, there is. They, they say that they found the chilazon, the snails. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. The snails? That's so cool. And what they do, they, they like... It's How they so, get it's so blue out of it's a whole like when I was like twelve. Maybe I should go. It was really interesting to watch. Like the whole museum, I, I didn't like, but the part like there was a part where they show you from this from their snail until I forgot until the, the color of the dye, and it's like a purple color. Yeah, that's interesting because in modern Hebrew, tchelet is turquoise, right? Yeah. Um, so here it's saying that the is the layam. It's the same color as the sea. What color is the sea? Right. Blue. Why is this? Why is the sea blue? Because it reflects the sky. And the idea is, why do we wear tzitzis? When we look at the general mitzvah of tzitzis and it has a blue string, the reason is because it reminds us of Hashem up in heaven, right? Um, when and we see the same thing with um, with sukkah. When we get a general mitzvah of sukkah, you need to stay in a hut for eight days, and it can't be taller than twenty amma. That's the general mitzvah of the sukkah. You can find a reason. Vagabe sukkah yeshtam, page ten. We can also find a reason when it comes to the sukkah as it's taught to us in the Mishnah in the general term. Laman yedu in order that you should know for the generations. The source for sukkah in the Torah is laman yedu which means that we should remember for all generations the huts that the Jews stayed in in the desert. And therefore, ad kof that has to be only until 20 amma. Why? What's the connection between sitting in a sukkah and remembering the sukkahs that the Yidin used to live in in the desert and the law that's brought in the Mishnah that the sukkah can't be higher than 20 amma? What would be the connection there? And the answer is, you see, laman yedu, yedu is like bold. So that you should know for generations. If you're sitting in a sukkah that's taller than 20 amma, you're not going to know you're sitting in a sukkah. You're going to feel like you're just sitting out in the open. And so we can find a general reason. When we bring a general concept, a general mitzvah as it's brought in the mitzvah, we can start to give reasons and to find context and meaning and understanding in the mitzvah. And so here it says, You'll only know, you'll only be able to fulfill that mitzvah as it's sourced in the Torah if its limit is 20 amma. Okay, so we see that that's the way that the Mishnah teaches us the, the mitzvahs. Very general way, not very, very little details. And from that general mitzvah, we can deduce some sort of meaning and reason. There's logic there. Oh, we sit in a sukkah to remember how the Jews um, you know, sat in sukkahs and it can't be higher than 20 amma because otherwise we won't know we're sitting in a sukkah. We have a blue string in our tzitzahs and we wear it a full comet garment, so we're surrounded and reminded that Hashem up in heaven is, is above us, right? Aval... However, habraisa huprat. The brisa is all of the details levar hamishnah to explain the mishnah. But kol dikdukim epratim in all of its, as I said, the nitty gritty details. Right here it says the intricacies, all of the small details of the mitzvah, which we know you have to know every single detail of the mitzvah in order to know actually how to perform it. That we get from the brisa. 
And so here we see, back to the example of the sukkah, the b'raisa will then come and tell us, my sukkah's ganbach v'rachbash. It's an interesting b'raisa that explains to us that, okay, what constitutes a sukkah? What if I'm out in, and I'm traveling and I don't have a sukkah with me and I stumble across a hut that seems to fit the requirements for a sukkah? Is it a kosher sukkah? Can I sit in it and make a bracha in it? And the answer is, if it yes, the answer is yes. So Ganbach Varakbash stands for all these different huts that you can f- stumble upon that were not built for the intention of a sukkah that can be used as a kosher sukkah if it fits all of the, you know, if it's not higher than 20 amma, etc. So Ganbach stands for sukkahs gayim, just a, a, a hut that the nations use, that the Gentiles use, sukkas nashim, the huts that the women used to gather in. I think when they were, I think when they were like um, menstruating, the women used to like go into certain huts. Um, so there were like women huts. If you stumble upon one of those, that's a, that's a, if it fits the parameters, it's a sukkah. Sukkas behema, if you find a shed for animals. Sukkas kusim, kusim were those, um, were like the, kind of like the slaves at the time. Uh, then we have sukkahs rashkvash, sukkahs rayim, if you stumble across a uh, sukkah of the shepherds, sukkahs kayotzim, those who gathered the harvest, sukkahs burganin, I have no idea what burganin is, sorry, and sukkahs shaymei peira, so those who would guard the fruit. Ksheira, the, it's, it's brought, the bride says ksheira, these are all kosher as long as it fits the halacha. Bahusha asa letzal sukkah, that's there for the purpose of making shade, it's kosher. Okay. So that's now giving us more details. The Bryce now adds. And then you can say, well, if you're supposed to erect a sukkah in order to remember the Yidin as they were in the desert, and you have to have a 20 amma so you can remember, why is it that you can stumble across a random hut that was not built for the purpose of sukkah and use it as a kosher sukkah? The reasons start to get a lot more obscure. The details take us a little further and further and further away from the reason of the mitzvah, and they leave us only with the details. That's what the Mishnah, that's what the Bryces do. They teach us how practically in all of its details to do the mitzvah, which is, as we discussed, and we'll see again, it's the highest thing because without that, we don't know how to do the mitzvah. But on the other hand, it takes us further and further and further away from the meaning behind the mitzvah, from the reason for the mitzvah, from connecting to the mitzvah because it's giving us just those details without any sort of context. And sometimes it's almost counterintuitive. Like that you can just stumble upon any hut and it could, it could be a sukkah. That, doesn't, that starts to even make it not logical at all, right? So that's what a, that's what a brysa does. Um, so we see she'ain tam ladava, that there's no reason for this, that you can stumble across any of these things that stand for the gematria of ganbach barakbash, that you can stumble across a hut and it could be used for a, mitzvah, for a sukkah. There's no reason. Venera b'choshen, so we can see clearly she'hulamala me'asechavatam, that it's above understanding and reason. So the Gemara will then come, the Gemara is like almost the next step and we'll try and reconcile these things, the Mishnah with the Brysan, give explanations and not give explanations, but then we're already going into like a whole new territory of trying to make sense of it. But when it comes to the details, we have no such explanations. It's bringing here another example. It's bringing all these men examples, which is annoying, but anyway, another prime, <laughs> another prime example of this is Tfilin. Even though we have a general explanation of why we put on Tfilin, to place the unity of Hashem written in the Shema on our mind and near our heart and thus dedicate ourselves to Hashem, right? That makes sense. We're going to put something by our mind over here between our eyes and um, by our heart and thus dedicate ourselves to Hashem. But when it comes to the details of the mitzvah, that they must be perfectly square and that the straps must be black, we have no logical explanation. So when we're learning the general mitzvah from the Mishnah, we can find some sort of reason and connection there and logic. But the more you go down into the details, 
the further and further away you get from that. So we see from these details of the mitzvahs that we cannot explain, that they are clearly just Hashem's will and wisdom that is beyond human understanding. This is the rule that we stated before, that the general rule comprises no more than the sum of all of its details. So the, the brises make up the totality of the Mishnah as it's taught to us. She'ein ba-Mishnah, ba-Klal, there's nothing in the Mishnah, in the general, yoter ba-Prat, ha more than what's written in the details of the brisa. It's almost like, just trying to think of it, like just physical examples, this idea, in ba-Klal, el-Masha ba-Prat, like, you have a whole apple and then you cut it up into like tons and tons of pieces, right? All those pieces are the... Pardon? Right, it's still an apple and it's still the same it's apple. It's still nothing new, yeah. yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that saying that the Mishnah and the Bryce are like equally important? So that's the thing. We're actually... Nowhere are we saying that they're equally important. On the one hand, we're saying that one is more important than the other and on the other hand, we're saying the other is more important. On the one hand, the Mishnah is more important. Why? Because it gives us the whole general mitzvah in one go, in a way that we're able to find meaning and connection there. On the other hand, the bris is more important because it gives us the details of how to actually practically perform that mitzvah, which is the whole purpose of why we have that mitzvah in the first place. So we, there's like almost the, there's the pro and con to each one. Well, I'm, okay, yeah, I'm trying to understand why it says like the information of the general is no more than some of the details. Like to me, that's saying that they have the inequality to them. <laughs> Yes, bless you. The idea is that the Mishnah doesn't have anything to add over the Brisa. I think, I think I'm understanding. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that it's trying to say that the Mishnah doesn't, there's nothing in the Mishnah additional to what the Brisas have. I think it's, it's I think like it's saying that the Brisa doesn't, like the Brisa is, is not something that is additional to the, to the Mishnah. Like being oh, like okay. Brisa being built onto the Mishnah is not like like it's not it's, adding exactly. Uh, it's not, that makes actually it's more sense. Like, it, it, it yeah. might be a discussion or an example. It might be like elevating the discussion mm-hmm. to the next level, but it's not something that is like that makes sense. That when you said it, it made sense in my head. Yeah, yeah. That does make. I think yeah. that does make more sense. Is that is, the, sorry, is it yeah. similar to the? You know, we're talking about Torah versus mitzvahs, and how like there was an argument in Gemara of how one's more important. Than the other. Is it similar? Or it's Very similar. similar. Okay. That like on the surface, you would think. That I don't even remember which was that the Tyra was higher. No, yeah. uh, there were two arguments, and like on a logical level, you'd think the Tyra is more—it's more enlightened, it's more spiritual when you're learning Tyra, right? Um, but then when we look at the whole purpose and intent for the world, we can see that the mitzvahs are higher. That's—I think that was the conclusion that the Mimer came to—that the mitzvahs were um, higher. We said yeah. that they come from Sovav Kolomim, which is higher. This is the same idea. Right, so the mitzvahs are dependent. It's, it's a back and forth. And so too here, the brises are dependent on the Mishnah because there's no, they're the sum of the general. The Mishnah is like a logical assumption that we take in order to, like, like that's, that's what, like, brises exists naturally from the Mishnah. Right, the brises are just the sum of the whole general of the Mishnah. They're dependent on the Mishnah for all of their details, but they actually give us an advantage there. Okay, so now we're going to explain which is higher and we'll explain why the price is higher. Page 12. I have to ask, why does it bring you further away? Like, it, it kind of feels like if you know how to do stuff, no more details, then doesn't it bring you closer? Well, that's the question. Mm-hmm. It takes you further away from 
enlightenment. It takes you further away from excitement and from inspiration. But it takes you closer to connection. But the, does that make sense? That was a very lofty no, kind of... that makes sense. But let's how? elaborate on that. Okay, so first of all, how is exactly what we're going to explain here. But... Like how it takes us away. How does it take us away? Because the more... Okay, so Shabbos. You, you've, you've grown up keeping Shabbos? Would you say that it's like a really nice kind of thing? It's a, one of the nicer... Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. It brings your family together. Yeah. It's a day to rest. Shabbos, okay. But then on Shabbos, you're also like not allowed to rip toilet paper. Yeah. What's the deal with that? Like when you don't rip toilet paper on Shabbos, do you feel connected to Shabbos and connected to Hashem? No. But when you don't do it, and sometimes it's very difficult, okay? <laughs> like, and there are all ways to like figure it out if you're stuck. <laughs> just saying, <laughs> just, just putting it out there. Um, <laughs> but in that moment, you don't feel like any sort of, oh, wow, connecting to Hashem. When you bring Shabbos in and you do the candles and you're sitting around the table with everybody, like the general feeling of Shabbos. It's like, wow, you know, I feel connected. But then when it comes down to the tiny details that make up Shabbos, right? The, the, the Bryce, like the, the general is the sum of all of its details. So what actually makes Shabbos what it is? It is that you're not ripping the toilet paper and you're walking to Shul and all those tiny things. That is what makes Shabbos. But when you're doing those tiny details, you don't connect to Shabbos. You don't feel any sort of excitement or connection. You just feel like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. I'm going to do it because... Hashem told me to. And so on the one hand, it's taking you further away, but it's taking you closer because that sentence, I'm going to do it because Hashem told me to, is way deeper and more powerful than I'm going to do this because I understand why it's connecting me to Hashem. And also like what you just said, like all the little things equal. So I think it's starting to make more sense <laughs> the, that it's the deep, that the, the general, the klal, the general rule is made up of all of its parts. Like, for example, Shabbos is the general rule, but you only have Shabbos because of those, all those tiny details. Um, so they're dependent totally one on the other. Mm-hmm. But when, and even just, again, when it comes to somebody who's learning Tyra with more of like a spiritual awareness, when he learns Mishnah, there's something there. There's a little bit of enlightenment. It's like a geschmack almost. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to learning the brises and like the tiny details of the halachas, it's just it's like, like, do this, don't do this. It's like when you're building a puzzle, you have like the general like goal, right? You're like, okay, this is the mountain, whatever this, the puzzle's going to look like. But in order to complete it, you have to focus, you have to like zoom into each individual little piece and figure out if it's here, yeah. whatever. And like in the end, it magically comes together. It all comes together as the picture. The whole picture of the puzzle the whole time, you're not going to, the puzzle's not going to happen. I love your like visual mind. It's a bit, it's amazing. Um, and I'm going to totally use that example. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, your mind literally, does your mind think in pictures? Is that like, because I'm like very logical words. Yeah, like you can see an idea it's in pictures. It's visual. It's logical, but it uses visual. Visual. So cool. Pardon? Draws. That makes sense. And you, what do you, you think in words? Pictures? Nothing happening up here. Like, I don't understand how people are not going crazy from like, like understanding what language they're doing. Like, I don't think uh, it's like, 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 I don't, I don't, how can That's so funny. That's very funny. I wish. <laughs> Didn't have that little voice. Um, okay, so is that making, is that making more sense? Yeah. So we're going to take what I just said and see that inside here now. Okay, so page 12 at the top. 
Anytime we have a situation where the reason has not been revealed, it's higher. It's higher. Why? First of all, because the truth is, the real reason for all the mitzvahs have never been revealed. Even when we do find reasons and connections and elaborations, they're not the ultimate true reason. The true reason for mitzvahs is because Hashem wanted us to do the mitzvahs. Why did Hashem want us to do these mitzvahs the way we do? We don't actually know. In the future, Emir Hashem, with the help of Hashem, with the will of Hashem, Yisgalu, then they will be revealed. So today, even when it does come to a mitzvah that we learn the general concept, we don't know the true reason for why we're doing it. And so the further away we get from the reason, the higher it is. And it's very, very similar to what we've been discussing till now. The darker something is, the less light, the less revelation, the closer it is to the truth. Because again, the more revelation for the, for the reason for the mitzvahs, that's not actually the ultimate true reason. So it's almost taking us away from that true reason. But when you say, I'm doing this, and there's no reason, and I don't know why I'm doing it, and I don't feel anything, but I'm doing it anyway, that's you're connecting, you are connecting ultimately to the truth of that mitzvah. The zeo. Can you say that about like all mitzvahs? Like, are there is there a hierarchy of mitzvahs? So no. Um, there's a, there, what's the pirkei avos that you should treat? Um, you should treat all the big mitzvahs as though they're the small mitzvahs. I'm, I'm not remembering like the Hebrew. Um, not remembering the Hebrew, but but the idea is that we can think like, oh, Shabbos is more important than. <laughs> I'm blanking out. Then giving tzedakah, right? Uh, if I don't keep Shabbos, then I'm not religious. But I like, but giving tzedakah, then um, like, you know what I'm saying? People put these things into lumps. Um, we don't actually know what's more important. In order, because people like to have some sort of structure and we need to know like let's say who we can trust to go over to their house and rely on their food or things like that we do say like if somebody keeps Shabbos, Kashras and Taras and Mishpacha then they're considered religious okay but that's almost that's not because we've that's a hierarchy it's almost like that's how we know that's a standard in their home that we can now almost trust if that makes sense Um, although we have been given for example certain punishments um, in the time of, of the Sanhedrin, there were punishments for different things. And the more minor, the lesser the punishment was. So there was also that going on. But so, so if, somebody, if somebody, God forbid, didn't keep Taras and Mishpacha, let's say a couple were together when she was in a state of Nida, that's considered kares. That's considered like, like the highest level of punishment, so like a spiritual punishment. Um, somebody didn't keep Shabbos, that was considered, they, they were killed. And then there was different ways of being killed. So there are these hierarchies from the Sanhedrin but they don't actually represent the, true, the truth of the mitzvah. Got you. Okay. Um, the truth of all the reasons for the mitzvahs we don't know, which is why we're supposed to... Hevei, chamura, kala, something... And the, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's coming back to me in words, this passage, this verse, but that you should treat the big mitzvahs like the small mitzvahs, and the small mitzvahs like the big mitzvahs, because we don't actually know. So, v'zeu Rabbi Shimon Darish Tame de oh, Sorry, I found it. If you want. Oh, thank you. Yes, please. It's the first one of chapter two. So, what is a? It's the first one. Vehe zahir ba mitzvah kala that you should be careful with a light mitzvah kavachamura like with a severe mitzvah she'ain ata yodea because you don't truly know matan scharin shal mitzvahs the real reward of the mitzvahs. Okay. That's not necessarily saying that they're equal, just as you don't actually... Like, right. You don't really have a right of giving right. the first place. Right, we don't know. 
And because we don't know, we need you to see them all as equal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't know. And it speaks about this in the Tanya. Um, now I'm forgetting what I was going to say about the Tanya. <laughs> it speaks about this in the Tanya. What does it say? Oh, that people tend to rationalize certain averes over others, right? And what does the Alter say? It's called a rochstos. That a rochstos means like a spirit of folly. Like it's, a, it's, your, it's almost like this little voice in your head that's lying to you. It's saying, this isn't so serious. It's not true. It is. It's as serious. But we do tend to rationalize certain things over others. It's very human, very natural. Everybody does it. doesn't matter how religious they are, not religious they are. You say, this is less, this is more, and, and it's a normal thing to do. But the altar says, ultimately, it's a rochstus because all, every time you're not doing something against the will of God, you're disconnecting from God. And every time you do a mitzvah, you're connecting to God. So can't be like, well, this disconnection from God is less than this disconnection from God. It's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing. And, and we do it every day to ourselves. I do it all the time. Like, this, isn't so, this isn't so bad, right? Like that sentence. That sentence. This isn't so bad. And you know what? Sometimes, it's, mostly, it isn't as bad as other things. That's true. That is true. If you want to be. But, yeah, that's where we get stuck. With it. This isn't so bad, you know? Like with the toilet paper, I'm telling you. <laughs> like those kind of things. It's like, applying, does God applying, really care about like, that? Rationalizing it in your mind. And like. yeah, the moment you rationalize a mitzvah, you're losing the point of the mitzvah. The whole point of the mitzvah is it's not rational. Doing it because God told you to do it, not because it makes sense to you. It doesn't make sense to you. Uh, well, we were just talking about this. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, that's why I'm like, it's a little... <laughs> it hurts. It's yeah. Like, no, it does hurt. So, so the is giving us a bit of uh, help with this idea, which is it hurts, but when we overcome that moment of like, this doesn't really matter, and we do it anyway, even though I don't understand why it matters, I don't even think it matters, that's the ultimate form of connection. But I think... I think my question about that, I don't if it has nothing to do with the class, it can wait, but like, how do you know when, when to draw those lines? Like, because you can't just take on everything at the same time. Right. So that's yeah. That's, that's why the rebel was so into having mashbia. That's why people need to have a mashbia. Or anarov, both. They're not, yeah, because like, how are you supposed to know? And how are you supposed to know if you're going too fast? And sometimes you are going too fast, and that's worse than, it's worse, it can end up worse. Going too fast can, can be dangerous. When I say dangerous, it could end up, all the progress can go back because you went too fast. Yeah. So having someone objective who has your best interests at heart, who knows a bit about you and your history and where you're holding and where you want to be is extremely helpful because we are not our best advisors <laughs> let's put it that way we're very subjective and it's very hard and sometimes we're just influenced by the emotion of the moment and um yeah so when it comes to what what is serious what's not what do i take on what do i not um that's where mashbia comes in and a rough yeah okay yeah and it's and it's it's important it's yeah. hard to do these things on your own yeah okay so Bazeu rabbi shimon darish tame de so this is what it means when it says Rabbi Shimon would Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai would give um, page twelve third paragraph. It says I think it's in the Gemara from Baba Metzia. It says that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai used to give reasons for all of the 
verses in the Torah, which, by the way, a lot of Said and Kabbalah, which comes from Rabbi Shem Baruchai, that's what it's doing. It's explaining. This is the deeper meaning behind this. This is the reason behind this. This is almost the background story. So Rabbi Shimon used to do that. However, so Shedar, she would explain the reason for the mitzvahs. Shema shenemar bapasuk tam shaldavar. Then he would say, whenever I've, expla- whenever I've explained the reason for something, la zehu ikar. This is not the ultimate reason. So there are reasons for things, and they are true, but they're not the ultimate reason. They stem from a deeper reason that we don't actually know. There is a higher reason that is beyond understanding behind every mitzvah. And so we see... So we see from this that according to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, whenever the Torah gives a reason for a mitzvah, for example, we've been told that you're going to get long life if you um, honor your father and your mother, and if you do the mitzvah of Shiloh HaKin, sending away the mother birds before taking the eggs, we've been told by the Torah, promise that you're going to get long life. So even when we, the Torah does give us reasons or rewards or punishments, it's actually just giving additional details to the mitzvah, since the ultimate reasons for the mitzvahs are completely beyond human understanding and were never revealed and again on the one hand that could almost be comforting it's like i don't understand this but that's allowing me to connect to something so beyond myself if i understood it i was connecting to something that's within my reach that's my level okay so i'm taking these little tiny baby steps my whole life but if i'm able to grab onto something that's so much higher than me and truly grab onto it just by doing it i don't need to understand i don't need to feel that's all for me at least from this moment, from this moment, we're taking it as a bit of a comfort. Nimtza, so we see, that when we find a mitzvah that we do not know the reason, it's higher. And we know we have categories for mitzvahs, right? We have mishpatim. Mishpatim are like the general kind of, log- almost we can say more logical mitzvahs, don't kill, don't steal, those kind of things. Um, then we have Adim. Adim are testaments, like um, the Shabbos and the Yom Tov, things to, to remind us of our, of our history, of our past, and remind us of our connection with Hashem. And then we have Chukim. Chukim are laws that don't have any sort of logical reason whatsoever. And that's, for example, Paraduma, that you can take a cow and use the ashes to make somebody... The, the whole story of Tara and Tuma, that's the truth, purity and impurity is almost like in a Chuk, like... You, now you're in a state of purity, now you're in a state of impurity. It has nothing to do with physical cleanliness whatsoever. It doesn't make much sense. Um, I seem to remember hearing that kosher is a chok. Has anyone heard, yeah, that? heard that? Yeah, which like, is very interesting. Because whatever logic you put on kosher, like, you can say, okay. Like, right, so say what was it? A chok. A chok is a category of mitzvahs yeah, that we don't know, that make no logical oh. sense whatsoever. So... So kosher, people will say, oh, it's healthy. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> there are certain halachas that are an off branch of kosher that were given to us in order to stay healthy. And like not mixing fish and meat, for example, it's clearly told us the rabbis instituted it so we can be healthy. It's not healthy to mix the two together. But the general thing, don't mix meat and milk, doesn't make any sort of logical sense. So when it comes to those type of mitzvahs, they're sourced in a higher... Place. So here we are actually be given a bit of a hierarchy that the misses that we don't know the reason are higher. Um, is it possible for a sadic to understand the deeper reason? Or yeah, I think so. Pro- it depends probably what level of tzaddik, but they have a lot. Like they understand the world on a dimension that is that that is beyond brain capacity. If that makes sense. 
So yeah. Um, and the Rebbe used to like find random, not random mitzvahs, but like a mitzvah that was a mitzvah and raise it up and like make a whole campaign out of it. This is, this is the time for this thing. And it's like, yeah, what? Like the more, was more like the yeah. Like, and the tefillin. Yeah. Right. So yeah. And, and sometimes, the, yeah. And having a letter in the Sefer Torah, for example, the rebel was like yeah. so into that. It's like, what's, what is this? Right. Um, so I do think that there are that, um, yeah, they have more of an understanding and, and some of, there, there are 10 mitzvahs. The Rebbe took like 10 um, mitzvahs and raised them up, you know, like having a house full of books and things like that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not considered one of the 10, but yeah, sending out emissaries and all of that. But yeah, so, so when it comes... Again, within our life, also, we can have chukim, we can have certain things that don't make sense, but then within our life, it could almost make sense, like, oh, kosher, like, makes sense to me, I'm easy with that, that's fine, for, for one person. Kosher for another person can be, like, the hardest thing. Um, and again, within kosher, there's details. Like, I find it very hard to, when I say keep kosher, I don't mean actually keep, like, keep higher standards of kosher when there are lower standards of kosher. That's really hard for me because, like, first of all, I used to eat those things. When I first came to Israel, I used to eat, like, I didn't know anything about hechsher. I said kosher, I ate it. Like, I really didn't know. So I've tasted all the good stuff. And then as you learn, it's like, oh, okay, that, not that it's not kosher, chas for shalom, it's kosher, but it's not the standard that I keep. Okay, so that becomes very difficult for me. Um, I've eaten it before. I know it's kosher. It's just not as kosher. And it's like, that's for me where it's hard. So... Different areas can be different, hard for different people. Different mitzvahs can be hard for different people. And when we hit that kind of wall where it's like, this doesn't make sense. Why am I even doing this? Why does this even matter? I don't feel any sort of connection to this. But then we get over that blockage by saying, not by finding understanding or meaning, but by, oh well, <laughs> but, by, but by actually just doing the thing, just doing it, that's like where we're actually touching the depth of the mitzvah. And that's where we're actually touching the depth of the Torah as well. When we spend our time going over the laws that don't make sense, that are dry. Like if you ask any typical religious high school girl, what is your most boring subject in high school? Okay, from the Jewish subjects, what are they going to say? Halacha. 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 Like don't, it's so boring. And it's true. It's, right? It's the least exciting, but it's the most important. So when it comes to our Torah learning as well, the more time we... Sometimes just make ourselves sit down and go through this, do the thing, learn the thing, get more knowledge on how to serve Hashem better in the practical, practical way. We're connecting deeper to the truth of Torah. We're connecting further from the enlightenment and the light of Torah. We're not going to leave all inspired, but we're touching the truth because the whole Torah exists and descended through all the worlds for that reason. So we can sit in the halachas. The dry, boring, sorry to say it, but boring, meaningless, meaningless as in we don't see how it's like connecting to our life kind of halachas and that's what the Bryces are and that's a lot of time what the Gemara is doing is trying to find out practically how do we serve God in the tiniest of details we're actually connecting to the deepest part of Torah there and back to that example we're tapping around in the dark because we can't see and that's when we're actually getting to know the Torah in a way that if we saw the Torah we wouldn't be able to actually truly experience it so we'll end off with this line right here. When a person does find a reason and when a person does find 
a pleasure in the mitzvah, this is just the external aspect of the mitzvah, it's not the depth of it. And we are not saying that you should not try and find reasons and purpose and meaning in your mitzvahs. It's extremely important. They're considered the wings, as we're going to see. The love and the fear and the emotions that we connect ourselves with to the mitzvahs are important. They raise our mitzvahs up. But the body of the mitzvah, the body of the bird, is just doing it. It's the action. And as we said, the final, the action was the original intent. It's connecting us to the deepest part of Hashem, the deepest part of Torah, and the deepest part of the mitzvahs. So we'll continue tomorrow. I think tomorrow we're gonna we're gonna source it back to um, no, not yet. We're soon gonna get to Yitzchak in the field in two classes time probably when we finish it. We're gonna see where Yitzchak comes in. Okay. Thank you. Have a great day. A few questions.